Please uh, turn in uh, your Bible or the pew Bible there in front of you. Uh, there's a black pew Bible there, and our text is Matthew chapter 3, the last four or five verses there. And so please turn. It's page 808 in that black pew Bible. You know, God has a way of communicating with people. Uh, he has a way of communicating with His people. Uh, we call that revelation. So because, because of God and His infinite, uh, you know, uh, holy, set-apart nature, uh, He would have to essentially condescend. He would have to reveal Himself in a way that we could understand. Uh, he is, like we said earlier, we confessed, He is not visible, uh, but He does reveal Himself. The two ways that He does that, by and large, uh, largely speaking, are a general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is the ways that God has revealed himself uh, in creation. We know that God is a God of, of order and seasons and beauty and power and creativity and symmetry. We can testify of all kinds of things. When we look at the pinnacle of God's creation, just the human, the human body itself is, uh, is a tremendous testimony uh, that we uh, have a God. And he reveals himself. And part of uh, what we know of God is because he's put the law on our hearts but there's also this thing called special revelation uh, when God reveals himself more directly uh, with, with more clarity in uh, the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament. And also uh, he reveals himself in the word incarnate when God uh, comes in the person of Jesus and he walks among us. Uh, we begin to understand uh, more of who God is, obviously. So when the spirit of God uh, you know, brings light to the scriptures then we have a new and fresh insight where God is revealing himself. When we open up God's word, even for you, maybe you are, are, are seven days into uh, your Bible reading plan. Listen, when you come to God's word, it's not always magical. Yes, it can be confusing. Yes, it can be boring. But God can and so often does speak to us through his word. And even when we gather here, that's part of what we do this exercise we're at the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the New Testament. Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is important, the culminating uh, testimony of, of the, the, the revealing of Scripture, these final chapters and uh, portions. We're introduced to a very important figure at this turn in the Gospel of Matthew in the opening of the New Testament. That, that important figure is John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist. Uh, he was the last prophet. Uh, so to speak, that God had appointed. Why is that important? We highlighted last week that John uh, was a prophet. Well, it was his voice was very welcome to those uh, who loved God and wanted to know him because 400 years had transpired and God had not brought any special revelation to his own people, Israel. They were resistant uh, to God. They were distant uh, from God. And in some cases, yeah, they may have just been apathetic, but they, you can bet, wanted to govern and, and, uh, and rule their own lives. That's what we all do. We all want that naturally. We want to serve our interest, our way, before other people and certainly God. Last week we heard uh, Matthew capture this historic moment where long out, uh, way outside the city at the River Jordan, people had left Jerusalem. Jews had left. Some of them came just to observe and criticize uh, like the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees. And Jesus, of course, rebuked them. But John is out there and he has a message. What was the message? It's, it is repent. Uh, he's calling forth, a, he's baptizing people and he is calling forth a repentance uh, unto life. 
John is preaching, uh, repent because the king and the kingdom are at hand. The best way to, uh, to uh, enjoy and receive and worship and adore uh, the king and to show deference and allegiance to him is to prepare the way. And, and part of that even is that, that visual sign that he was quoting from the prophet Isaiah was that, listen, the, the road needs to be cleared, right? If, if we want to have fellowship with God, we don't need to just mend the road. We need to mend our very hearts, John knows that part of that is repentance. And what is even significant uh, in preparation is baptism. Baptism uh, for these folks, it's a, different than our Christian baptism, uh, but nevertheless, it's, it, it's, there's an overlap. That baptism is a ceremonial rite. Or it, is, it, is a, uh, it, is, it is signifying our need to confess and, and, to, and, and to have an experience cleansing uh, from God. It is for the sake of of renewal. Uh, and so they needed to be set apart. Normally it was the pagans, it was the people outside the covenant community, the Gentiles, who would have gone through this ceremony. But it's that bad. The people of God, uh, like I said, were, were resistant. They had not heard God's voice for many years. And, and their, their rebellion and their resistance, uh, they need the repentance, the change that bears fruit. And that repentance is not... For them or for you, right? I don't know if anyone else that's occurred to you this last week in reflecting back on uh, you know, John's call here. Repentance is, is costly and, and it, is, it is challenging and painful at times. I quoted from C.S. Lewis. Uh, you, I, I'm always quoting, it seems like, from either the Chronicles of Narnia or Mere Christianity. In Mere Christianity, I'll read this quote again from last week. Fallen man, that's, that's all of humanity. Humanity is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He, humanity, man, is a rebel who must lay down his arms, laying down your arms, surrendering, saying, you're sorry, realizing that what you've been doing is on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. This is the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, this movement full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. It's something much harder than merely eating humble pie. It means unlearning all the self-conceit, the self-will that we have been training ourselves in, Lewis writes, training ourselves in for thousands of years. Come on, has it been that long? Oh, yeah, it's been a long time. There's nothing new under the sun and our, 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 our nature, it's, it's remarkable to even think, yes, humanity over years has developed. We have, we have fulfilled part of the creation mandate. We have demonstrated a dominion and, and used our, our God-given gifts to do great and wonderful things. But let me tell you, as much as we have all of these advances in technology, uh, we still can't predict the weather, but uh, and as much as we can do amazing things like we, we, we can develop, you know, scientifically medicine that will uh, change, you know, with a pill, someone's blood pressure. Right. And we can even take and send people uh, to to other planets, to the moon. And yet still we cannot control ourselves to think that we try to control other people when we can't even control ourselves something is not quite right this is going to be a little bit longer of an introduction so thanks for bearing with me i got more to say before we even open up the text 
Last week, I had uh, an opportunity to help someone uh, who had lost uh, all of their keys. I didn't know this person, uh, but uh, she had a van, and, and it, was a, it was an old Honda blue van, and it was just like our old van as a family. And, uh, and I crawled in this van, and it was... Uh, Boy, it had the minivan smell. You know what that smell is? It is the exact antithesis of the new car smell. And uh, I got in this thing, and it was just cluttered. And it brought back all kinds of memories for me because our van oftentimes was very cluttered. Uh, Ten years ago in that blue van, I used to turn around, and I used to be tempted to say, Who are these people? What is wrong with you? Look at this. I showed them a picture of that van. I said, this is what our van used to look like thanks to you. Actually, it was worse. Nevertheless, sometimes I wonder if God, our Heavenly Father, looks at us, at humanity, and says, what's wrong with you people? Thank you, Doug. I did mean that as a joke. I, I, uh, I do wonder if it's true. You know, God already knows. We, too, know why we're messed up. What's wrong with us? Yeah, it is our hearts. Something's wrong deep down inside. And God knows if we are honest, if we were to open up the scriptures we, and have enough humility, we would see in this self-revelation of scripture that we have rebelled against God. We don't love God with our whole self. We don't love our neighbor as ourself, do we? He knows Well, I started my Bible reading plan, as I mentioned earlier. Like tons of Christians, you get to Genesis chapter 3. And we find out what's wrong with the world. We're under a curse. I say we rebelled. You say, well, that was Adam and Eve. That's not me. That was, our, that was people long ago, long, long ago. And, and the Garden of Eden and, and all that stuff. That's not me. But wait. Chapter 3 made it clear that we're all made in the image of God. And we have as a responsibility to show deference to the love and the law of our creator. They were given one plan, right? Our parents in the garden, they were given one plan. Trust me. And if you want to trust me, this is how you trust me. Do not eat of this one tree. This is the one commandment I give you. Now, they did. They, 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 they saw that it was desirable. They, they wanted to be like God. They were deceived. And so they ate and they broke God's law. What came, what came and what comes is a curse for all of humanity. They were sent out of the garden. They no longer experienced the same fellowship with God. And we are living this side of Eden and the fall. Again, I say we because we sin with our Parents, Adam was and is our representative head. You may not like that. I mean, we're, we're, we're so unaccustomed to ever thinking that way in a federal headship. We live in a culture where everyone's so individualistic, it would be unthought of. It would be unheard of that someone in your family, if someone were to come to you and say, uh, you know, you owe us money because your, your father owed us money. What are you talking about? It's nothing to do with me. But if you're in an Eastern culture, even to this very day, they understand that very connection with their family. We're part of this family. We have a representative, and he is Adam. It's an important concept that I wanted us to, to put in mind before we come to 
uh, the text here this morning. Adam is our federal head, our representative for all of humanity. His fall is our fall. And we would be arrogant to think, well, if I had been there, no, we would have done the same. We would have. The unfolding story of Scripture is that what happened in the garden happened to all of us. The Apostle Paul puts it well in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, in Adam, all die. And then he says, when we come outside of Eden, in Adam, Paul says, by, by Adam, by a man, all have come to know death. We're born in a world of death. We're all on our way to dying, every one of us. All of this teaches us that when the Lord promised and when the Lord said to Adam, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. That you, let's put it southern, y'all. That is y'all. That is us. We have to suffer the consequence of that choice. We would have made the same. I know that's pretty bleak, right? It, it's reality, but it's a, it's a bleak thing. It would be even more bleak if there was no hope. Even in Genesis 3, there is hope there of a coming one, the descendant of Eve, who would reverse that, the Messiah. A biblical scholar, uh, Mitchell Chase, puts it well. What we need, if we're going to have hope, right? If we're going to have a, a, a hope uh, for uh, the, the curse and our, our situation is we need a new federal head. If being in Adam brings condemnation and death, and it does, we need an agent of rescue and life. We need someone who can stand in our place and whose deeds can be reckoned to us. We need our humanity revived and our condition redeemed. Who will heal our deep wounds and deliver us from the mire of our own sin? And, and I would add our own condemnation, our own guilt, the penalty of our sin. Chase goes on to write, we need a new Adam, a last Adam. If the first man failed, we need an Adam who will be faithful and whose faithfulness will impact the present and future of all of those who are united to him. That's our hope. So thanks for your patience. I'm going to read the text now. I invite you to stand as we look together at this. This is a very familiar account. And in John's gospel, when he records this, he mentions how John the Baptist, when seeing Jesus come to be baptized, he looks out and by faith he sees and he says, behold, which is look, fix your eyes, fix your face right here in focus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what we read, Matthew 3, beginning verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have, pre would have pre prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest upon him, Jesus. Verse 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. Father, we would ask right now your blessing. Would you be glorified? 
Bless this, your word to our hearing. Uh, moreover, bless it to our hearts. Please grant that we wouldn't just have understanding, but we would also have childlike faith that pleases you. In Christ's good name, amen. This is one of the beautiful times in the New Testament that we see very clearly the working of the God-man, the, the triune God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In some ways, I'm just using it as an outline to unpack the text for us this morning. What we see first is the baptism of God the Son, the descending of God the Holy Spirit, and then last we see the speaking, the voice of God the Father. The baptizing of God the Son, Jesus, why? Why on earth would Jesus, of all people, uh, seek to be baptized? You might say, what, you know, wait a second, this is a sign of, of cleansing, of confession. The Gentiles definitely need it. Obviously, many of the Jews now are so distant from God, mending their hearts need it. But this is not the case for Jesus. He is perfect. Why on earth would Jesus be baptized? Well, if you have that question, you're, you're in good company. John the baptizer here, uh, he's confused. He says, wait a second. This, if, if anything, we should have a role reversal here. I, I shouldn't, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes, uh, your sandals. You know, I, you should be baptizing me. You've got this all turned around. Remember how I mentioned a few weeks ago, Jesus is the new Israel. Jesus is our exodus. When he was born, we, we recall that uh, for, the, for the sake of safety, uh, the angel appeared to Joseph and they made their way for a season, for a time down into uh, uh, the nation of, of Egypt. Egypt, of course, marked a place of safety then. It was for the people of God of old for a time until it became slavery and then bondage and then they had to make their way out of that. That's what we call the Exodus. The greatness of the Exodus is that uh, they're following the prophet Moses and they make their way back. Uh, to the promised land and cross the Jordan. We enter through into the promised land through repentance and faith, and that would mean a baptism. Were the people of the old covenant baptized? Well, yes, actually they were. And Scripture testifies that part of that is just their baptism in and through the Red Sea, although they were not destroyed. It was Pharaoh's army that was. And even to cross the Jordan into the promised land. We see the father relating and speaking of and the language, uh, familiar language here in verse 17, the last verse of, of what we're looking at, chapter 3, where he says, my son. Speaking of relationships as parents, you know, I'm, I'm around a lot of uh, parents and uh, sometimes we see parents, you know, uh, boasting in their children or bragging or bragging of their grandchildren or whatever and and, uh, and I've been known to do it. I'm guilty. Okay. And uh, we say, oh, well, so-and-so is trying to uh, live vicariously through their children. When it gets a little excessive, we say, yeah, they're just trying to, their, their own kids' achievements or their own kids' you know, academics or athletics or whatever it is, they're trying to live through their children, again, vicariously. We get that. But let me be clear. The father here is not living through the son God the Father is not living through the Son on earth vicariously. It's actually God the Son 
Jesus Messiah who is coming and living vicariously, leaning into our fallenness, our broken world, our humanity. He is stepping into our world, becoming a substitute. He's being prepared to be a substitute for us. Why and how? Why, again, this is to the question, why is Jesus being baptized? Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says in verse 15, this is so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. This is the prophet giving forth a new uh, responsibility. Jesus will fulfill every responsibility of the law perfectly. He will be obedient. I can't make it 20 minutes being obedient. Jesus is living a life filled with righteousness in thought, in word, in deed, in motivation. Think of this. It is profound, even at this point. You see, we need a spotless lamb. I, I, I quizzed the children a few weeks ago about what were the plagues. What was the last plague, young people? Some of you. Graham, you knew it. What was the last plague? That's right. Death was the last plague. And how did they how were they spared except that a lamb would be slain, blood put over the door and we celebrate the Passover. And we we see John crying out, as I said at the beginning, looking at Jesus this very moment, this very day. And he's saying, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He cannot be the lamb unless all righteousness is fulfilled. We talk about it. Oh, well, Jesus died for my sins. Okay, yeah, that's true. But Jesus lived for your sins and mine. Thanks be to God, his obedience all the way to and through here. So he will obey the law all the way down to humbling himself to the act of being uh, baptized. Eventually, of course, uh, he will face uh, as, as king, bizarre as it sounds to us, a coronation that involves a, a crown of thorns and a cross of shame and and, and sorrow and suffering. That's his coronation. Jesus is going to be at the lowest point. Jesus here, when he comes out to, you know, last week we said, he, you know, he called the, he, he called the, the, the Pharisees and the, the, the scribes, what did he call them? Snakes. You, 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 you baby eating snakes, you miserable, you know, low scum of the earth people. Because of your self-righteousness. But here Jesus says, I, yeah, I've got a harsh word for the self-righteous. Those who think they can clean themselves up, be good enough, smart enough, and don't need my grace. But those who are sinners, Jesus, those who, those who know themselves to be sinners, Jesus is identifying with us all the way down. Our weakness, our humanity, our need. We've already said it dozens of times, it feels like. We've confessed our poverty. We are poor in song, in scripture. We're going to come to this table and say, we're needy. We, we, we are spiritually bankrupt in the face of a holy, upright God, our creator. And he's coming back as our judge. That's, that's, not, my, that's not my idea. That's the testimony of Scripture. Only he can continue and he will, Jesus, humbly be obedient and faithful to his mission to seek and to save the lost. Now, after Jesus is baptized, two unique things happen. And that's simply verse 16 and verse 17. Verse 16, the Spirit of God descends upon him as though a holy dove out of the open sky. Then verse 17 
uh, which is the only time this is, uh, only one other time is this kind of thing recorded in the New Testament. But booming forth is the very uh, voice, the audible voice of God. Clouds open, dove descends. This audible voice of the Father says, verse 17, my beloved son. So that's our last two points. Even shorter points. Descending of the Holy Spirit the anointing, that's part of what happens when the Spirit of God is poured out here for Jesus. He's anointed. He's set apart. He's going to go and enter in as the Messiah into his public ministry and to his temptation. Do you? Do you I mean, when you, when you hear the Father say in a familiar way, this is my son, do you know him? It's just beautiful to contemplate right here. How, how, how much he must love, and yet to include us in this, God the Father, God the Son, God this Holy Spirit, all present here. Holy Spirit comes and does what Holy Spirit does best, bringing attention and fame to Jesus, but also to empower him for ministry. And that same Spirit, friends, Jesus needed it. Ne- Jesus did not have all good days. <laughs> Jesus knew Sorrow and suffering and challenges and temptations and that same spirit that brought him strength this day brings to you and to me strength to his disciples to live for him. In fact, after Jesus, three years later, having fulfilled his earthly ministry, will say prior to his ascension in Matthew 28, 18, he's going to leave with us the Great Commission. And that is what? All, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. The, the church's mission, Jesus' mission is made clear here with the authoritative voice of the Father, his identity, and his mission. And then we're going to be included in that also as well. That is the power. Paul says it uh, elsewhere in First. Thessalonians 1, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Jesus had, and and we have also ourselves, by faith and having been adopted, we have a comforter and a counselor, the Spirit of God. When we are baptized, we're not only baptized into Father, Son, Uh, not only baptized in the name of the triune God, but into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is significant. As we'll see in this last point, verse 17, when the Father speaks, the speaking of God the Father. Let's read it again. And behold, a voice from heaven came and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well Pleased, The Father is revealing, as I already mentioned, the identity and the mission of Jesus. The Father declares in these words that Jesus is the only Savior sealed and appointed from all eternity to carry out the work of redemption, of, of purchasing us. He who was rich became poor, Jesus being the rich, we being the poor, that we might know the riches of his grace. Jesus will come and Messiah will baptize. We're told earlier in chapter three here, John's message is when Jesus comes, he will baptize with fire. Now, for those who have communion with God, those who are disciples of Jesus in repentance and faith, that is not a destructive fire. That's like the fire mentioned in verse 10. 
of a few verses ahead of this. It is instead a, a refining and restorative fire. It comes to baptism like we see uh, with gentleness, uh, even with the spirit descending as a dove. But there is a condemning fire that our holy creator and judge is bringing. I, I asked it last week. I, I'll ask you again. You know, we, we think of, of, of judgment coming and we, we always, uh, we, we're inclined to say we, we know that we're better than somebody and we, we think, well, probably our good deeds will outweigh our bad deeds. And then when we get in the presence of holy God, you never even think about that because you know, we will, we will know. There is nothing that we can bring that would impress or, 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 or garner his favor or win his affection or prove to him our love. The only fitness we sang earlier that he required is for us to feel, to sense, to know our need of him. It's admitting that we are sinners. How could we say that the, 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 the imagery that's earlier in this chapter of a winnowing for a, an axe being, being laid. We're done pruning and this is coming down. Judgment. That's heavy. Of course it is. How do we know that that is not against us? We, we, we only know because we look to Christ. We find hope and, and refuge in, in him. How can, how can he say to you and to me, my beloved, that he, would, that, he would, that he would affirm his affection for us. That he could call us and say, I'm pleased with you. And you, and you, young person, old person, you know, new believer, old believer. How could he say to us, I am pleased and I love you? Well, it's only through union with his son by faith. When he says here, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, the same can be said of us. Sons and daughters, because we are in Christ, clothed with his righteousness. God sees Christ's obedience. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. We call that the great exchange. It's a lot better than any white elephant, okay? For sure, thank you. Yeah. This is, this is way beyond, if we're humble and honest, by faith, way beyond anything that we can conceive of or contemplate, thanks be to God. It's one of the reasons we call it grace. In part, we not only, it's part of the reason that we not only come to, to, to commemorate and to remember, but actually to experience the power of the presence of Jesus at this table briefly. We need God's love. We need God's cure. We need God's welcome. It's why we need God's grace, that unmerited favor that changes our past and it changes our present and it will change our future. Thanks be to God that he has given us a representative, a new Adam, a second Adam, a better Adam who is our lamb and our victor. So I invite you to come and surrender. That's where power and life resides. Join me.